Avengers, assemble. In the wake of Endgame, some were lost, others regained. They're good. What happens next? Stay tuned, true believers, as we try to find out. Peter Melnick. Graphic designer, comic book enthusiast, and podcast pontificator. And I'm Eddie Wilson. Upstate New York radio announcer in the Sullivan Catskills with an inordinate amount of catching up in his own comic book universe. Ready? It's time for a new episode of The Marvelists. This is Al Ewing, uh, writer of Immortal Hulk, Guardians of the Galaxy, and the upcoming Empire. And you're listening to The Marvelists with Peter Melnick and Eddie Wilson. Hello and welcome to The Marvelists, the Marvel Universe podcast. My name is John Sherburn, editor for the aforementioned show. And the only reason I'm here today is because this Al Ewing episode went a whole lot longer than anyone expected. So this is part two of two for the podcast. Today we're going to hear a lot more from Al as well as Peter and Eddie just about the stuff he's worked on over the years, the directions some of the stuff right now modern comics are taking, uh, as well as more on the Hulk and some other favorite topics. Uh, second half is just as good as the first half, so if you liked it, make sure to stay tuned. I'm not going to do too much talking, so I want to get right into it, but if you'd like to follow us anywhere, you can find The Marvelous on Facebook and Instagram at The Marvelous. You can find Peter on Facebook at Peter Melnick Podcaster, you can, as well as on Instagram. You can find Eddie on Instagram at Eddie9193. Uh, and if you want to know more about where to follow us and find us, you can just go on to the description here at the bottom of the episode and see all that good stuff. And for watching the show, I know you know how to get there because you're here right now. We're on SoundCloud. We're also on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, maybe Podomatic, Google Podcasts, uh, a whole bunch of other fun stuff. So uh, if you find us on any of these interwebs, please give us a like, give us a follow, give us a subscribe, give us a comment, give us a review. Anything, you can drop us a line on the email bag at themarvelists at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and without further ado, we're going to get into the episode. So stay tuned for another 60-ish minutes of The Marvelists. Let's get going. Now, going back over to the beginning of Immortal Hulk, one of the things that was very prominent in it was the usage of the green door. And as someone yeah. who's recently, you know, been... Rewatching and rewatching Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the Green Door scene with Leonardo DiCaprio keeps popping up in my head, and every time I see I, that scene, I think of you with Green Door I with have the Hulk. Not, I have not seen that film. It's pretty good. I I, I haven't seen it. I uh, I think uh, I know people who have seen it, and they they thought it was very interesting. Um, apparently, there are a lot of feet in it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it is, despite that, despite that little pack of dollars, it is very interesting. But like, um, you know, there are some people who really like it. There are some people who really don't like it. It's at some point when I have time, I'll sit down and watch it on DVD. But I think until then, I've got to kind of, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of films in the queue for for that treatment. I'm not I'm not as big a Tarantino fan as some. I kind of recognize, I recognize, you know, what he does. But it's like. In the moment, his films don't tend to grab me that much anymore. Right. Don't know why that is. Well, the reason I bring up that is just the fact of, you know, the song Green Door is played in that movie. And was the Jim Lowe song what you were referencing with the Green Door originally? Because if, if, like, there's yeah. a small part, it feels um, like it. Yeah. I, uh, I forget. I think, I think I had the idea that, like, 
there was a door between the world of the living and the world of the dead. You know, it should be green because the Hulk is green. And then, and then probably then I went and listened to, it would have probably been the Shaken Stevens version of the song. Um, because that was, that was a, a song of my youth. I remember that being on top of the pops. Uh, if you, if you Google Shaking Stephen Stevens, he was, he was the eldest of Wales, uh, in the eighties. He was part of the kind of fifties revival of the eighties. And, um, he did a version of Green Door that's very kind of rocking and rolling. I just um, added it to my Spotify account, so I'll be listening to that tonight. Yeah. But I think I was listening more to the, the Frankie Vaughan. The Frankie Vaughan version is the one I was listening to mostly. And well, how many more songs are you having me add? <laughs> obviously, uh, the Frankie Vaughan version, but they all have the same lyrics. And that first verse of like, uh, what is it, Midnight, um, One More Night Without Sleeping, uh, something, When the Morning Comes Creeping, you know. It's like there's a sort of horror tinge. Um, and I mean, yeah, what's Green Door? What's that secret you're keeping? It's like, um, certainly up until the Hell Arc, that's kind of the the thing. And we're still, we've still not quite answered all of that question. Um, we know a lot more about the Green Door than we did. So you're like, telling me there's uh, an old piano and they play it hot behind the Green Door? I mean, no, I think that's, that's more of a symbolic piano. I would hope so. <laughs> they're symbolically playing hot. Um, but I think if you were to say that Joe sent you, they would laugh out loud. Uh, <laughs> behind the green door. Um, yeah, there's a... Uh, I mean, I might, I might do that scene, yeah. But, like... Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, no, that was, that was very much... Um, I think originally... I was I was planning on sort of uh, quoting it a bit more liberally than we have done. Um, there was another. Uh, I think we've sort of we've quoted it a little bit here and there. We kind of you've got to be a little careful with song lyrics because um, there are a lot of rights issues. So I, I don't think you can ever quote them in their entirety, which is why there's so much humming in comics. Um, uh, unless there are there are public domain songs that um, yeah you're, you're starting now to get public domain songs that are very kind of uh, uh, useful. Um, when I did Fatal Frontier with Kieran Gillan, um, there was uh, the song "After You Get What You Want, You Don't Want It" was in the public domain and it had some lyrics that were very uh, re- relevant to what. What was happening with Tony Stark in that in that series? So uh, so we shoved that in, and it was in the public domain, so it was fine. Um, Green Door Green Door is not in the public domain, and I don't think it will be for quite a while. So uh, I don't think I think we can quote a very little bit of it. Yeah, I know. With uh, over at Image, Matt Fraction and Chip Zdarsky had to deal with uh, Fat Bottom Girls with Queen, and they were not able to get that whatsoever. They... They were trying to do the whole song, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's... Narrator, I mean, they I, did not get the rights. <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, I'm very... Uh, I'm fairly... I am fairly careful with sort of song lyrics, or I'd, or I'd put a lot more of them in there. Um, but uh, there was a... We had to kind of... Um, 
tamper a little bit with uh, the Mr. Rogers song for the leader because I thought it would be all right with the amount we were using, but it was like, no, no, we won't be. Um, so we, we tampered with it enough that it's now essentially a different song that is very, very similar to, you know, the Mr. Rogers song, but it's not. Um, it's a fictional it's a fictional version for the Marvel Universe. Um, and I think, I you know, I'm pretty sure it's all right. You know, it's like... Uh, it's 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 our song based on based on the it's like like those guitar hero games where it's like as sung by the so and so's you know oh man i do not the, miss uh, those covers whatsoever yeah <laughs> well when that time that time alan moore was like um, i don't know if he did this because of the uh the public domain thing but when he was retranslating Bertolt brett um to kind of and doing his own translation of it uh, in I think it was in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen is it is it Brecht uh, it's three put three penny opera so I think that was Brecht but uh, I'll I'll probably find out it's somebody completely different and I'll I'll reveal myself as a fool <laughs> but like um, I know in I know in I think it was 1910 uh, he he ended up kind of retranslating. And I assumed at the time that was like a, uh, it was it was a copyright thing, um, or he just wanted to, you know, uh, entirely possible. Now going away from the Hulk and over to what's next, you know, first off, you also you've been doing a lot of stuff at Marvel, one of which was the Marvel Comics One Thousand, and yeah, how did that come about? I think. I mean, I got an email basically saying, like, uh, do you want to do you want to do this? We think you'd be good at it. Um, I, I think that came out of You Are Deadpool, of all places, um, which at the time was just a kind of funny, you know, they, they were like, can you do a, a five-issue Deadpool miniseries with, like, more than one artist uh, coming out weekly? And I was like, okay. Um you know, what do you, do you have any ideas for one of those? And I was like, well, you know, maybe something with time travel. Uh, and then I decided to try and do a, a kind of game book with it, a sort of like uh, a proper full-on choose-your-own-adventure like uh, Fighting Fantasy. Because um, there'd, there'd been a lot of like uh, choose-your-own-adventure comics. I don't think anyone had done a full-on game book since like the 80s. Uh, but... Um, out of that, that kind of proved that I could handle a lot of moving parts. And they already knew that I was a, a sucker for continuity and finding, like, kind of meaningful blobs of stuff in, like, the deep past of Marvel. Um, and basically, Tom sent me an email which was like, yeah, we want to do, like, Marvel 1000. We want to make it, like... Uh, one page per creative team, except you'd be doing like uh, the spine of the book, so you'd be doing about 20, 20 ish pages. Um, and you know, we'd like, we've got a, a bunch of ideas for like what it could be, you know, maybe something related to Marvel Comics 1, maybe something uh, where superheroes get um, interviewed, maybe like uh, a thing where. 
each page is another year of models publishing history and i was like let's do all of them uh all those ideas sound good let's try and let's try and fit them all in uh but especially the year by year publishing history thing that really that really excited me so i immediately started thinking of like a, a plot line that would like both tie right back to like marvel comics issue one um but also uh, something that could kind of... I, I made a little map of like important events in novel publishing history and sort of tried to craft a story through those with the expectation that I wouldn't be able to do much in the 60s because that would be when like the big heroes came in. So I'd sort of colonize the early part of it and then... You know, it sort of faded to the background for a little bit for the celebration, then come back strong at the end. And what what ended up happening was that, like, we kind of took the the basics of that idea, but we didn't end up using my my map of the publishing history because it was like that would have involved basically saying to people like, you have to write this on your page, and you have to write this on your page, like in terms of this character, um, and that's somebody's going to have to write like uh, I don't know Iron Fist or someone um, and it's it's like whereas Tom's you know Tom's like uh, attitude was no we we ask people we ask the celebrities you know and the people and these people who we are inviting back after like so long away to like give us one more page we say who do you want to do and then we build around that and the advantage of that method, which I think turned out to be like the right thing, was um, Marvel's publishing history is so kind of there's so much in there that we could let everybody write the character they wanted to write and uh, do the publishing history thing. My jaw actually dropped when 1977 comes along and you see Star Wars in there and Again, I was just shocked. They were, they were to have Star Wars in it. I think, um, I mean, I you know, I to, there were so many years that were just like big years. I had to, I had like, I think I had the Iron Man film as one of the beats, and that ended up being one of the beats in the final thing because, um, you know, the year Iron Man is first published, like, I, I think it's, you know, it's Thor, it's the Hulk. There's so many other people like first getting their start. It's, it's almost like a battle royale to see who can have that year. Um, so, like, uh, and obviously, you know, I'm pretty sure um, the FF got 61, Spider-Man got 62, you know, but it's like uh, there are a whole bunch of people who did Spider-Man stories. And the nice thing about Spider-Man is that there's been a whole bunch of times in Marvel publishing history where he's had, like, firsts. So that was great. And people would rather read a story about Spider-Man than I think the story about, like, Puck or, uh, you know, Werewolf by Night or, I don't know. I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of, like, who the real also-rats were that I was, like, uh, I was kind of giving a page to because there was no, there was nothing else I could find in that year that was, like... And I mean, Tom had a much better understanding of just how deep and rich the kind of publishing history of Marvel was. So, 
you know, he could find things. And then, you know, towards the end, we were sort of swapping stuff around a little because it was sort of... Uh, so we could have, like, you know, Miles Morales in the year he first appeared and sort of... Uh, um, which I think we ended up doing. Yeah, we did. And, you know, a few bits and pieces that were kind of... Uh, but it was it was good. It was fun. It was like putting together a massive jigsaw puzzle. And I was like, I was not at the sharp end of this either. You know, the editorial team on that, uh, Tom and Lana and Shannon, they were just like, I don't even want to imagine the kind of days they had to put in on that. And the, you know, the number of phone calls and emails they had to do just on a daily basis to get that, to keep that moving and get that happening. So, you know, um, and I think what came out of it was like, people were, I think, expecting Marvel Comics 1000 to be less of a, less interesting than it turned out to be. I think the kind of, the single page element, as a jam issue, it's just, those are, those are some lovely single pages. Those are, you know, some of them are just really nice. That one with, uh, Oh, where Spider-Man names the kid. That's like, I'm sure that's I've seen that so many times. It's just the one that made people cry, and like, uh, and yeah, you know, the publishing, you know, the publishing history angle. That was a, a really good idea of Tom's because I think that made it. Uh, so yeah, I'm really, I'm really kind of proud of how it came out, and like uh, that it wasn't just the sort of. celebratory like I feel like it could have been more of a sort of a victory role for the the sake of a victory role and actually it was like this really big and difficult and ambitious and audacious project that like um, it felt meaty at the end it felt like people were getting a thing for their 10 bucks that they'd keep and go back to and sort of and remember and you know, maybe, yeah, you know, I think I think that's um, that's that's pretty cool. I'm, I'm looking forward. I think I'm pretty sure that you know, assuming, assuming you know, I'm not uh, a a small pile of radioactive ash. Uh, I'll be around for the hundredth, and I'll really look forward to what they do. Because I I think we sort of gave them a hurdle to kind of a hurdle something to top. Whoever is doing like Marvel Comics ten thousand, I think uh, I think we gave them something to kind of, you know, a little a little more a little uh, a little uh, high jump to kind of to kind of get over. So now, I'm pretty happy about that. Now, one of the questions that one of our listeners asked from David Watkins, he writes, "What's great about the Mask of Eternity slash New Three X's storyline?" is the use of lesser-known elements of Marvel's history, as well as the blend of street-level characters with cosmic ones. Is it refreshing to use characters usually ignored by other writers, and will the Mask Raider continue to impact the larger Marvel universe? Um, yes, is uh, the answer to both of those. I do, I do really like uh, using lesser-known characters, kind of, I guess you'd call them D-listers. Uh... But I always, I always find there's more, there's more there than, um, partly because the uh, the territory of the big A listers is very, is very mapped out to an extent. 
which I guess means that if you can find new territory, you know, you're sort of, uh, that's very exciting to people. Um, with Hulk, it was a bit of a cheat in that direction because I was in the very lucky position of bringing Bruce Banner back from the dead. Um, that was a golden opportunity and, you know, had I been just taken over from the last Hulk rider, I don't know if it would have landed, uh, but I was following up on a fallow period, uh, a Bruce Banner-less period, um, and that had an effect. There were people who wanted that particular version of the Hulk back. Uh, in terms of the D-listers, though, uh, there's something really cool about every single Marvel character. There isn't a single character uh, who is not cool or cannot be made cool. Um, you know, maybe Star Fox, but, like, um, <laughs> he's dead, so that's fine. Uh, but, like, um, in terms of... You know, even if even if you have to like reckon a little stuff, massage a little stuff, I'm, I'm pretty sure every character is is like, you know, has something to kind of grip grip the reader. Um, and like, uh, there was a period, and I I think the noughties were especially bad for this, but also it carried on a little bit into the tents of like this almost high school mentality where it was like the cool kids were the cool kids and everyone else was sort of there to be mocked a little bit. So like, um, you know, like someone would kind of, I don't know, the, I mean, the whole people thing where it's like, no, I'm, I'm deep now, I'm penance. Uh, that that felt like a, a signifier of that. But also, you know, poor old D-Man. I always felt really bad for D-Man. You know, he was trying his best. Um, he did, you know, he's pretty good. He, it's like, what? You know, you're in a burning building and a super is coming to save your life. And it's D-Man. Are you going to, like, not be grateful? I just watched Eddie solemnly nod when you said, and D-Man. And he's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, D-Man. <laughs> I think know, I just he's... met D-Man's number one fan. <laughs> no, no, no. Number but, three, at least. The big, the big example that I come back to a lot, and it's one reason I put him in the three X's, is Night Thrasher. Because I am, I, uh, I, I've looked at like, like message boards of Night Thrasher's, Night Thrasher's fans, and they're like they're ashamed of the skateboard, and it's like the skateboard is not a shameful thing. It's like, yeah, maybe maybe in the nineties there was that that famous uh, memo from I think it was Dwayne McDuffie of like you know, uh, um, why do all uh, why do all the black heroes have skateboards? And it was like. Um, but the, and I don't think you're going to be seeing any new heroes on skateboards because the 90s are no longer happening. <laughs> but like at one stage they were happening and it gave us this unique character. And this is somebody who is so good at skateboarding that he uses it as a martial art and it works. And people are always kind of writing him as like ashamed of this somehow as if like it's beneath him. And it's like, no, he's literally, he's the best skateboarder in the world. He's so good at being a skateboarder that he fights crime. And it's like at what at what point is this not cool? And he's I have gone on I have gone on public record as saying that Night Thrasher is better than Batman. Ooh, I like that. Batman. And okay, one question. Have we ever seen Batman skateboard? 
<laughs> no, we have not. <laughs> We've never seen him do any skateboarding whatsoever. No. Nitrasha can do everything Batman can do and skateboard. Therefore, Nitrasha is cool. You know, he's he's rich. He's got like um, he's got the gadgets. He's got the detective skills. He's kind of. You know, he, he can beat people up and down on, off rooftops if you like. He can also kind of hang behind a car like like Marty McFly. Yeah. Um, if he wants like a thrasher mobile or like a thrasher plane, he can just buy one, build one. <laughs> you know, it's like, but, you know, he doesn't, I mean, he doesn't put his own, you know, he doesn't fly anything in like the shape of his personal brand. Uh because he's a very modest man, but like uh, he is, you know, he is like the best, the best skateboarder in the world. And it's like this is not, this is not a small thing. This is not a thing he should be ashamed of. Sir, you're converting uh, me into this Church of Night Thrasher, and I have to tell I'm, you, I'm really into it. It's I'm a, really it's a very kick butt church. The, the whole, the whole thing with my, my entire approach to his character, and like, people did assume that I'd like I'd done loads of research on him. I've read very little. I've read very little Night Thrasher. I've read like I've read some basics. I've read sort of a few. I've got a taste. But like my entire approach to his character is that like he is he's serious about crime fighting. He's you know, he's a serious crime fighting guy and he does not worry about what other people might think of his of his methods whether that is you know breaking the law with some cyber hacking or like uh you know using his skateboard to ollie up somebody's face it's like you know if 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 you find that amusing you know whatever he doesn't care it's what works um and i would love I would love more people to, to kind of. I would love less um, uh, less people trying to make, I guess, superheroes ashamed of their gimmicks. Um, because you know, I mean, even okay, Razorback. You know, it's. I can see people finding him silly. I can't see him finding himself silly. Yeah, because it's you his know. gimmick. It's his thing. It's his thing. It's his thing. It's his like, and there are probably, I'm sure there are people who, whose lives he has saved who find him like incredibly charming and like are very grateful. So like this, this kind of thing where it's like, uh, I've never liked the whole idea of like the D-listers as this sort of group of people to be kind of mocked or, or belittled or like, uh, oh, these are the also rats. These are the kind of, there never was. Like Captain Ultra, you know, he's like, um, He's pretty. He's quite Superman-like, as I remember. Uh, or is he? He's, he's got some pretty. I forget what his weakness is. I know he's got a weakness, but uh, I forget if it's like kryptonite or if it's fire or. Uh, it could be kryptonite on fire. That's just as bad. Yeah, it's it's one of those. Yeah, well, it's kryptonite, but you've got to light it on fire as well. Um, but like you know, he's got all the powers of Superman. His costume just happens to be really terrible, and it's like. Again, that's part of his charm. It's like, I like that there's this sort of Superman who's sort of out in the Midwest or wherever, just kind of with a really bad costume. But, you know, he's the locals love him. He's like, uh, I kind of feel like there's a, 
there was a strain of elitism that kind of crept into superheroes for a while there. And I think we've seen the back of it now, but uh, I didn't enjoy it at the time. So I was very happy to be boosting the D-listers wherever I could. Uh, and, then a lot, and then a lot of the comics I worked on got cancelled, so uh, I, I don't do that as much now. Now, a certain group of former D-listers that have gotten to be in the top echelon of Marvel are the Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes. And yes. that's the title you're working on now. And once again, it is. you're working on characters that I absolutely love. I'm a big Star-Lord guy, and seeing that cover with Star-Lord and Rocket, just that alone. Yep. Ah, oh, man. I'm, I'm definitely I mean, stoked for tomorrow. I do have I do have long-term plans for Star-Lord. You better. Uh, <laughs> no, I do. I do. And you will... There'll come a point where you want to hold me to that. Uh, but I do have long-term plans for it. But, like, um, yeah, I know I love, I love Rocket. Um, I... I put a lot. Of, anyone, anyone. I put a lot of thought into at any stage. I always like to go back to and sort of, you know, see how they are. So like having having Rocket there, um, it's great to it's great to get back to him. It's great to put him back in the suit uh, to kind of pick up kind of where I left off with them. Uh, Nova, I'm really enjoying writing. Um, the uh, Marvel Boy. It's again. It's nice to come back to him. I think we're kind of we're going a little more in the Morrison direction this time around. Uh, I I made a kind of a big thing, uh, and I think it's in the preview. I think it's in the preview page. I've made a big thing of listing a lot of his physical powers because I wanted to have a scene where he introduces himself and he's just incredibly cool and like. Uh, Pete and Rocket are just sitting there going, oh, God, we're so old. Um, but, like, as part of this, like, big scene where he's, like, he's introducing himself and he's like, yes, I'm the cool new kid, granddad. Uh, he's, like, um, he's listing all of his physical powers, which are all, like, really weird. He's, like, he's triple-jointed, he can run up walls, he's, his fingernails are explosives. Um, <laughs> and it's, like, Darren was, like, well, we're using all of those. Darren, Darren, you know, the, the main editor, but he was like, yeah, we're using all of those powers, aren't we? And I'm like, well, we are now. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we're going in a much more kind of like Morrison-y, weird cockroach boy kind of direction with him um, in that we're showcasing all the cool stuff he can do. He's like, he's like a cute gadget in human form. Um, so we're having, we're having, we're going to have a lot of fun with Marvel Boy. Uh, and who else is that god? There's, there's all the other guardians we've got. Have you been, have you been reading the solicits? I've been kind of avoiding them, just you know, for the anti-spoiler aspect of it, because okay. I, li- I like well, being surprised. I was going to bring up something that has been mentioned in the solicits. You but can. I, uh, <laughs> let me just, let me just check that this has been mentioned in the solicits because I think the. Um, I think we've seen the solicit for issue three. What last solicit come out? Was it March? Uh, I don't think the April ones are out. Oh. That's the thing that drives me crazy about the solicits, by the way, where you're just like, oh, yeah. that issue's coming. Oh, no, it's not for a while. Oh, I got to wait now. Yeah, I don't think we've seen, I don't think we've seen April, April yet, but, um, 
March, I think, was... Yeah, March was the last one. Uh, I'm just going to have a look through to check that we did end up putting this in the solicits. I've definitely seen people talking about it. Uh, sorry, this is just dead air. No, you're fine. Okay, <laughs> it's not the same as being on the radio, so that's bad. it. Yeah, no, you can edit this out. Uh, where's God? Here we go. Guardians, Guardians issue three. Yeah. Uh, so we have we have revealed this. If I were to mention uh, the West Spiral on Guardians, uh, <laughs> would that be could that be something that made you happy or sad? No comment for now. Um, I do I do call them the West Coast Guardians in the script. But, I like that. Uh, it's it's like, you know, coasts coasts have no meaning in space. You know, there aren't <laughs> coasts in space, so they're the West Spiral on Guardians. Um, but like, that's just a kind of that's that's sort of a goofy name for the solicits. I don't think I don't know if we actually call them that in the thing. But we are having we are having two teams. Um, I just got I was just talking today to Darren about like because I sort of pitched a year. And then the first thing of that pitch was like, this will probably all change because one thing I wanted to do with Guardians was space is generally you're either dealing with the rise and fall and the ups and downs of one particular empire, like the Shi'ar or the Skrulls or the Kree, or space is a kind of random encounter table where like you go in and oh you a, a world Badoon appears and you know you sort of oh no it's the Badoon, it's the Centaurians, it's like um, the Rigelians, we've not seen them in a while. Uh, my idea for the Guardians was that I wanted to give space more cohesion. I wanted to kind of hark back to those Dan Abnett days where you did feel like there was a kind of a cohesive um, a cohesion to it, and and like you know the what was happening in the Kree Empire would affect like the Skrull Empire, and you know what was happening there might affect the Shi'ar Empire, and there's sort of so there's been a lot of doings in space, and uh, I don't want to give any spoilers for Empire, but looking at the covers, you may notice uh, the King of Space is very prominent on those covers uh hopefully um so space you know space will be involved uh so there's a lot of space related stuff happening all of which will not tie in but have an effect uh what i want to do with god is i want to kind of i think we've got like I want to kind of rethink the time a little bit in that I don't want to kind of do what times usually are, which is like everything stops um, while the, your team or your hero, your character gets involved in this other thing that's happening off to the side. Uh, I want it to be more like, do you remember when the Cascade of Ancient Winters opened uh, in the 80s in Thor? <laughs> And every Marvel comic coming out that week or that month had like, oh, it's snowing in July. What's going on? Yeah. Oh, it's not. 
to, to like one extent or another, you know, it might be like it had only happened for a few panels or there might be a whole story like set in the snow, but like they all acknowledge it. And Godin's is the book that acknowledges stuff um, in that it's your kind of, it's the place you go for like a look at what's happening in space. And like, um, so like the first, the first kind of, the first couple of issues are happening against the backdrop of like, um, uh, it's sort of introducing the Cree Civil War. So it's sort of, uh, I think the first like five issues or so are kind of going to be like a sort of, they're very much based on, based on the team, based on the family. Uh, it's a found family. Uh, and it's sort of an introduction to like some of the basics of what's happening, you know, in space. Um, but it's very godly, it's focused. And from there, we kind of start bringing in more and more of, uh, as things like, you know, these other space stories that are sort of having these big lasting impacts on like the, the structure, the, the shape of the galaxy um, happen. And I can't, I can't talk too much about this because uh, obviously if I spoil any details of Vampire, they're going to like, Smack you. you know, you'll see my head on a pike yeah. at C2E2. Um, <laughs> So like, yeah, uh, I can't really, I can't really say how, um, the, the layout, the kind of, the, the political map, if you will, of like the, the various space empires is going to kind of change in the months ahead, but it's a cohesive, coherent universe and the guardians have to navigate it. The guardians are caught in the middle of all of this. And it's like the theme, the thing that the word of the day is collapse. Um, and we'll, yeah. So things, things are going to get, things are going to get bad. And, uh, you know, there might be, yeah. Oh, I can't, I can't, I can't say too much, but it's like right now, right now things are heading towards a collapse and it's going to take a major event to like, get the galaxy off that course and you know we'll have to see if that major event occurs and what happens after that and so on well but really i can you know i can't say anything it's like I, i'm like really choosing my words with care to be as vague as humanly possible <laughs> well as far as course and, my, and you know your your own yeah. now what uh, other things um are happening for you are you um Frequently back to the states, are you going to be uh, doing the uh, the uh, con circuit or anything like that? I'm in I'm in Chicago this year for C2E2. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to be over there. So if people want to find me in Chicago, uh, I will be there. Uh, I'm in Toronto the month after. Um, so I'll be there if people want to. Uh... Oh, actually, uh... I don't know. It's like. There might be a thing where like, I can't say that until they announce it. Uh, I don't know if they've announced it yet. Yeah, I mean, might be better to might be better to edit out Toronto if you could. Would that be possible? John, please edit out Toronto, please, please, yeah. please. <laughs> I think I think C two E two is all right. I mean, it's it's more like I don't think anything will come of it. I think they'll just sort of like tut at me when I get there. But it's like. Uh, 
you know, I don't, I don't want the hassle. Um, I'm going to assume, well, I'm going to assume New York Comic Con is going to be uh, one of your stops oh, this yeah, year. Oh, yeah, I'm always, I'm always at New York Comic Con. Uh, yeah, no, I, I make, I make a habit of that one because I really like the city and I, I like going over there. Um, I am trying to do a lot less. I'm probably not going to be doing as America, as many American cons this year. Um, I'm I'm going to do the ones I'm sort of. Uh, I'm going I'm going to sort of do. I think even even the ones I'm invited to, I'll I'll sort of have to say no to some of them, because I want to do a lot less, a a lot less sort of traveling, um, a lot less kind of like time away from the desk. Uh, it's yeah. a very busy time for me now, and I can't be. I had a lot of cons at the end of last year, and it really screwed me up. It really put me behind. Um, it was wonderful to do the cons, and I'm very very grateful to all the organisers, and I love meeting all the fans. But work-wise, uh, I've got to start like being a bit cruel to myself and not, you know, not doing as many cons this year. And the other thing is flying. I want to do less flying because um, I am looking into kind of carbon capture places and like uh, ways I can sort of offset that. But again, last year I did way too much of it, and I want to. So I want to. I want to do a lot less of that. Um, so I probably won't be at as many American conventions as I was last year, and I'm not at that many anyway. I, I always try and do New York, um, and that's, you know, that's a kind of special, a special one for me. And I, you know, I'm going to that one. But, yeah, I, I don't know, in the middle of the year, maybe and there might be like one, one other uh, in, in America itself. And I'll have to sort of pick the spot a little bit because uh, I kind of want to. I kind of want to go somewhere I've not been before. Have you been to San Diego before? I have never been to San Diego, so it might be San Diego. That'd be an interesting um, one. I've heard it's. I've heard it's massive, and like that's on our you know convention bucket list. I mean, what I what I hear is that like New York is as big as San Diego now. Yeah, New York uh, is. I'm not sure. I think they get one hundred eighty thousand. True. Um, well, I feel like the Javits Center can't like. Uh, I think it's. I feel like it's at capacity. Um, I've been to conventions in like similar convention centers where like uh, you're sort of a little space, and then there's all these dividers, and if you go beyond them, it's just vast empty warehouse. Uh, but it's like with the Javits Center, I do feel like it's kind of. Um, uh, that's that's a big convention, and that's. I think I think there's more there's more room in that convention center where they could fit stuff in, but like. Um, I I don't know. They might need to like. Uh, it might become, in five years, it might be one of those conventions where it's like you've got the main the main center and then like a secondary, convention space. Yeah, they've been kind of doing that with uh, panels and whatnot. Like, they're utilizing the Hammerstein Ballroom, like, a few right. blocks away. Yeah, like, they've been doing that since, I want to say, 2014 or 13. Wow. Yeah, because wow, I remember going... Of course, yeah, panels. Yeah, no, you can't, you can't find space for panels. Yeah, because they used to utilize... Oh, go ahead. 
even even in the room even in the panel room the amount of times I've been on a panel and like I've been in the wrong panel room and it's just like you can't just giant cheers coming through the wall even at Marvel panels because like somebody's like doing a movie one in the next room and it's like you know or somebody's doing one with like all the big cheering happening and like you know you start hearing the cheers through the wall um, there was a 2000 AD one where like we were almost having a fight with like uh, the panel next door <laughs> because it was just constant constant cheering through the wall uh, like you know they were like hurling t-shirts into the crowd or whatever oh like, god we were trying to we were trying to have like a you know a quiet discussion about like upcoming thrills <laughs> like you know we could do it did any of those uh, thrills include free t-shirts no no they were all uh we it was it was early days early days for 2080s new york presence these days they've got like this giant booth and everybody loves 2080 and uh the the appearance to to plug once again my uh, free comic book day um 2080 thing this year uh that i believe is to sort of launch the best of 2080 so the fact that they feel like it's time for it's time to bring that back um it shows that there's kind of a hunger for it and like uh, a demand for like the old 2080 stuff to kind of be seen again so like uh yeah no i'm uh I, I feel like 2080 as as a body of work and as like a new comic that still comes out every week, you know, without fail. And if you've got the app, you can subscribe to it. And there's like, you know, new work by like uh, Rob Williams on uh, Rob Williams, John Wagner, uh, Leo Moore, John Rapian, um, uh, name but a few uh, Sice Spurrier I believe uh, I think he's more I don't know if he's still in there on a regular basis but uh, people do people do go back to 2080 so you might find him there um, but like does it's it's a breeding ground of like new talent uh, for Britain so and it, it's you know. it's crazy that even you know in this day and age we're still getting the quote unquote British invasion of writers and talent coming from across the pond, and it's so cool to I see mean, still. I mean, there's there's new people, uh, the the White Noise Boys, the uh, that that writer's studio. Um, what they've been doing recently has been extremely exciting. Uh, a friend of mine, Alex Packnell, he. Uh, he did a book called Friendo. Uh, I'm trying to... I'm just looking up who that was under. I think it was... Yeah, Vault Comics. Uh, that was that was really good. That was like... Uh, it was... You can get it all in one trade, but it was just uh, a really smart bit of... Uh, a really smart bit of writing. There's a whole bunch of people um, kind of coming over. And the, the beauty of 2000 AD as a sort of a place that grows new writers and new artists is that it's, it's almost like it's still a pipeline to, uh, it's still kind of a pipeline to the, um, to the American industry in terms of like, it's a place where you can, uh, learn to write and learn to, to like, and hone your art. And 
at a certain point, people start noticing that. And, uh, you know, it's a place you can sort of... Uh, it's a place you can kind of move move on to. Uh, so there is that. So now, Al, first off, we want to say a big thank you for guesting on the show one more time and talking with us about comics yeah, no and everything in general. And before we go, we want to say also, how can people get a hold of you on social media? Oh, uh, social media, probably the best place is Tumblr, bizarrely. Uh... So yeah, I've got I've got a Tumblr. I'll just find it. It's at uh, yeah. com. That is the one, com. And if you go on there, you'll see me. Uh, I've just finished a a long examination of the Adam Warlock Jesus issues of uh, of Hulk. What I'm doing on that is it's where I I look at every issue of of Hulk one by one you know over a very long period of time I'll probably still be doing this long after I finished Immortal Hulk uh, but it's like because um, it's it's fascinating I'm but reading your like, hashtags uh, by the way hashtag in case you didn't spot it he's Jesus <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that is that is in response to um <laughs> The the bit the the exact panel I'm, I'm tweeting is the one where having been nailed to a cross, having risen from the dead, having had like a tree person go like, oh yeah, Adam Warlock called me the the stump on which he would build his church, and it's like, yeah, did he really? Having had like uh, having had all of this, you then have uh, Adam Warlock like rising into the air because he can't stay; he's got to go to space and like. Like being a Jim Stalin series, but like, uh, yeah. you know, he's, he's got to go away. But it's like, here we go. Uh, the last the last captions in the issues are like, this is Warlock's time of passing. He leaves the gathering with an unvoiced question, a question once asked by Ray Bradbury in a, poem, in a poem too few people know, are there mangers on Far Worlds? <laughs> and it's like, now you bring up the mangers. It's like, now, it's after all of this, you know, you couldn't leave it alone. You had to just really hammer the point home I do you know, I love I love this comic I love everyone I unironically love this comic I love everyone who works on it um, it's a thing of beauty I wish I wish we could like just this is the kind of thing like Marvel used to do just for a couple of issues of Hulk to like tie up a plot line um, they just do that you know they wouldn't like uh and also, it says that there's really there's really nothing I'm doing in Hulk that hasn't been done before by other people. That is the main lesson of my Tumblr that I'm just shamelessly standing on the shoulders of giants. And I also love the title of your Tumblr: "What is happening? Arg two H's." <laughs> this is tremendous. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, that is immediately underneath. I have I have the very panel where uh, Bruce Banner. Yells those words, and that's that's what he says as he's transforming into the Hulk for the first time. Um, and it's very much how I feel when I read the Hulk. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I there's so much to love about the entire history of Hulk, and 
you know, it was going through going through this with my Tumblr that like turned me on to how amazing Harpy was. The original Harpy. Like the giant bird feet. Just looking at that kind of that splash page ending of like Betty Ross transformed into a green bird creature with gigantic talon feet. Mm. Like looming over the Hulk with like her fangs and it's like uh there's something almost primordial about it. It's like on the one hand it's it's a you know, it was it was from a time when people were just happy to like allow their unrestrained it's just free access to the page, which is wonderful. And I I'm trying to do more of that myself, but it's like uh the the level of like you you look at it and it's like it's like looking at a tarot card. Um, it's just this this bizarre magical artifact. And it was like and when I brought when I brought Harpy back in and like, you know, did the new red Harpy, uh that that issue where she ends by eating the Hulk's heart, I, I kind of literally said um, I literally said to Joe in the panel description Okay, here's what's happening. It's laid out this, and I really wanted to look like a tarot card. And God bless Joe. He uh, he complied, and it does look like a weird. And that's my that's kind of that was that was my idea of like a homage to those those old issues. So I do I do love them, um, but I'm also I'm kind of fascinated by them, and I'm sort of dissecting them like one at a time. And sometimes, yeah, sometimes I poke a little fun. Uh, but it's all from a place of it's all from a place of very deep love. Uh, and then I'm also on Twitter at Al underscore Ewing. Um, and I there's very little there's very little of worth from me on there. It's like I uh, I'll tell you what I'm doing on a, on a Wednesday every Wednesday if I've got a book out I'll tell you what that book is, and then you know I'll retweet stuff. And that's it. That's my entire Twitter. So I'm not like, uh, I'm not one of these people. I'm not like uh, Daniel Kittlesmith, who's like constantly getting off zingers. Um, He's a sharp I, man. I, oh my god. I am in. I am in awe of the amount of like, and it can't take him very long either because he's doing like he's just doing so much stuff right now. But it's like uh, I'm just in awe of like every time a new one of his comes up, it's like oh my god, it's. He just he writes really good tweets. One of my favorite tweets he's just, ever done was uh, him talk having uh, Professor Xavier talk to Forge, and Forge goes, "Yeah, my power is uh, I invent technology." Like, look, I have a robot leg. He goes, "Oh, you can invent robot legs?" He goes, "Yes." Oh, no reason why. Just wondering. <laughs> just the idea of Xavier being really, really cross about that. Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, at, at this point, um, it's I. I'm, just in awe of what that whole office is doing with like yeah, Jonathan and Jordan and that whole crowd. I'm just I'm just in awe of what they're all what they're all up to. Uh, with yeah. with the X Men at the moment. I'm yeah, just, he was uh, he was that. Daniel was nice enough to uh, meet us at our local comic book store as we celebrated the Marvel 1000 and his uh, well oh, actually yeah. his, his his Loki uh, run also. And he was that was really good. I thought. Uh, I really enjoyed reading that. And uh, the, the, like, I was sorry. I was sorry it uh, it went. Yeah, 
my th- my yeah. thing is also it was really cool the fact that you and him were table neighbors this year at New York Comic Con. It was really appropriate. Well, I was I was I was fascinated. I was picking his brains about uh, bringing Verity back because like um, I was really excited that like somebody was. Um, at the same time, there was always part of me that wanted to kind of like at some point, like ten years in the future, uh, have a door open and like Verity walk out of it. And like, um, <laughs> and just upend the table, just like as a kind of like, as a kind of thing. But like, you know, I've got my. Uh, if ever, if ever, having a position to write Loki again, I've got my little Loki beat. But like, uh, I, I'm really happy with what everyone else is doing with him. I think I have this thing where, like, once I finished on a character, with I guess the exception of Marvel Boy. But once I'm finished on a character, I don't tend to look back. I don't see myself, once I'm done with Hulk, uh, I don't see myself going back. Um, I, you know, I might have a little fun with the Savage Hulk from time to time. But I don't see myself sort of trying to rewarm that pie or like uh, relive those, relive the glory days. Quite frankly, I'll be honest, I would love to see you get a Peter David-esque kind of run on Hulk because I don't want to see this ride end. I really don't want to see it end. I mean, I think uh, it's kind of got it. Um, yeah, I hate to say it. I mean, we've got, we've got a full, we've got a kind of a full story planned. There was a time when, uh, and also it's a very, it's, it's quite a pacey, it's quite a pacey sort of book. Um, and one thing we've sort of stuck to a little bit is uh, I was always wanting to bring some of that energy of the first six issues in, but I think part of that is we've sort of taken on the very changeable nature of those that early those early times. And, you know, the Hulk is probably the most changeable, flexible, fungible character in, uh, in Marvel Comics. Uh, you never really know what you're going to get with a Hulk series, and that's how it should be. So I think kind of, I think if we stay too long, he'll start to ossify and calcify and set, and like, it'll it won't end well. I would rather I'd rather leave in the in a burst of white heat than. Uh, mm. um, we've got stuff planned, you know. That's not like an idle boast. Uh, we've got stuff coming up that I think will be that big boom of an ending uh, that people are craving. But having done that, we can't stay because if we if we peter out, then that would be the worst thing. I'll be honest, as a Peter, I don't see that as a disappointment myself. Oh. <laughs> yeah. John, please cue the uh, badunch I, for that because that deserves it. To, I try not to have my Peter out in public, but <laughs> there you go. And now we're getting is, somewhere. Now, this is no exception. <laughs> Before this episode wraps up, I have one final question that I, you know, was just thinking about. Uh-huh. Who are some of the artists that, you know, living or dead from back in the day, in regards to the Hulk, that you would have loved to have seen work on your title, and also who are some artists that worked on the Hulk, living or dead, from back in the day, that you feel would have benefited from your version of the Hulk. Um. Honestly, it's like see working on the Hulk, uh, Enrique Alcatena, um, the Argentine 
comic book artist. He, uh, American readers will remember him from, uh, he did some, he did Batman Legends of the Dark Knight, two partner with Alan Grant. Uh, he did, he's not done, he's not that done, done that much in America, but he's done a lot in, uh, in Europe and Argentina and, uh, and Britain. He did, he did a lot of issues of a thing called Starblazer. Um, in terms of, uh, uh, he did Predator versus Judge Dredd, uh, if people remember that one. He did, uh, uh, Flash, Flash Annual Thirteen, Flash Volume Two, Annual Thirteen. If people, if people have that one, uh, Legion Ninety Three, Issue Fifty One. Um, I'd have to look these up to see if people, if whoever he was working with has like uh, this software Wikipedia. I'd have to, uh, I'd have to look up whoever it was, you know, if somebody was inking him on these books, whether they captured his uh, uh, quite absolutely perfect style if you if you look him up um i think if you were to i'm trying this right now but if you were to google his name and do an image search uh Enrique Alcatena art yeah you immediately you immediately see some beautiful stuff uh just like some beautiful kind of horror illustrations and like uh you know, you got a real a real taste of his illustration style and his uh, his English style. He's, there's a picture of some mindless ones confronting Doctor Strange that looks absolutely beautiful. So there's him. Um, artists, I mean, artists who would have benefited. It sounds that sounds very egotistical that like there are artists who work from the Hulk who would sort of you know have, uh, have benefited, benefited. I mean, I'd have loved to see that particular combo of. Kirby and Ditko. We're we're kind of back in territory of artists I'd love to have been able to work with somehow. But like uh obviously Kirby on his own is fantastic. Ditko on his own is fantastic. Ditko inking over Kirby's layouts. Uh Incredible Hulk issue two, the Toadman issue. That is absolutely astonishing. That's a thing of beauty. Um I, you know, I, I can't, I can't get enough of that issue. Just the beautiful, the beautiful compositional choices and the, uh, the way they're just brought to life by, uh, by Ditko is just, uh, that's just absolutely, absolutely phenomenal. Uh, so I, I feel like, um, Sal Sabashema would make, uh, um, I, I'm obviously not pronouncing that right. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna work out who was the Hulk's inker on uh, the Crossroads. Let me. Was it Milgram? I'm gonna, I'm gonna look this up. I'm gonna look up uh, three hundred one because I think that was. Hang on, I'm gonna look up. Uh, on the old database, because there was a period around where the crossroads, the whole Hulk at the crossroads thing, that had some uh, Jerry 
Jerry Tullock, I want to say. Uh, my pronunciation of people's names is absolutely appalling, and I am. I can only apologize for it. I'm very sorry. Um, but Jerry, uh, no, that that's there was a whole there was a whole swathe of artists around this time, around the time of the kind of um, the sort of the early 300s, where yeah, you got the you got some some schema at his most. Uh, his most savage with the Hulk. He, he did this thing with the Hulk's face where like uh, a lot of the time in the Mantlo years when when he drew the Hulk, he was much more of a sort of human features. But like for the crossover, he sort of scrunched his face up. I like uh, that about that series. Yeah, it, it looked absolutely... Um, it was a fascinating time. You got some, uh, you got some amazing stuff happening there. Um, and then there was a point where it sort of transitions to like uh, I'm sort of going through it on the database. You've got all these amazing uh, these amazing Magnolia covers, uh, which is just incredible. Um, and I I believe he eventually starts doing the interiors for like an issue. But so far it's that uh, the schema teller uh, combination. I'm sort of random. Uh, I'm randomly guessing it, uh, but there's there's a, a Brett Blevins and Al Williamson do like uh, a two-parter, and that's that's very good. That's really uh... oh, and then then you've got Mike Mignola, uh on the pencils. That's uh... I mean this the, that whole period, that whole raft of issues is just like it's a murderous row of just astonishing work and. It's almost a shame when it kind of comes to an end and you get the, uh, you know, you get the kind of, um, oh my God, Mike Mignola did the, did the big Brian Banner issue. I know he, he like oh. I said, he did uh, some of the Crossroads covers because that was like one of the things yeah. that, you know, attracted me to he, checking that out. He did interiors as well. I have to uh, track those down. For about for about three issues, he did interiors just before John Byrne, just before Byrne took over. Hmm. Uh, and like, I mean, Byrne, I that was when I started reading the Hulk. I was I was a Byrne booster at the time, and I'd sort of semi noticed the crossroads stuff happening, but I hadn't really got into it. Whereas, uh, you know, I was very. Um, I was I was very kind of uh, excited by by Bird coming up, but I think when his fears were interesting, but but the interest for me kept up when uh, Al Milgram and then Peter David took over, and then obviously, you know, Peter David kind of stagged me, and obviously this was like every I was getting maybe two out of every three issues, right on. because like I was saying earlier, you know, you could get all the issues. So, uh, you know, there were things like um, I didn't get the one where one of the Hulkbusters died. Uh, there were some Milgram issues that I, I didn't get, not for want of trying. Uh, and I had to sort of fill in those gaps later. But uh, no, the, the, the art 
the other Sunday, I kind of feel like if I don't know, like maybe maybe a young Mike Mignola. It seems the height of egotism to kind of say that, like, had he been starting out, uh, maybe he'd have found something of interest in what we're doing. But to say that now, after the career he's had, after the art he's done, it just seems madness. It's like, it's, you know, it's like monstrous arrogance. Um, but on the other hand, who's to say that one of our wonderful guest artists is not going to become the next Mike McDonald? That's true. Do you, you don't know? Now, uh, I think it's about time we wrapped it up because this has been a long one, but this has been a damn fine. It's been a damn fine long one, though. Now, uh, oh, yeah. go ahead. No, no, it's just going to say I've rambled a lot. No, you're fine. What I want to know is for the future, if you're willing to come back on, we'd love to have more Hulk talk with you. Just honestly, the character in general, because you're a Hulkhead, sure. we're Hulkheads. We'd love to talk more with you. Absolutely. I mean, you know, we could do it, do it sooner, do it later. Uh, Any time at all, I'd love to come on. And Absolutely. You, you've I'll been. Have read more. I'll have read more of the old issues by that. I'll have more opinions. There you go. This is the third time uh, you've I'll... been on the show. Believe me, we want you back again and again. We have no problem oh, with that. I'm always, always happy to come back. Always happy to come back. Uh... For the Marvelists, I'm Peter Melnick. I'm Al Yurik. And I'm Eddie Wilson. Excelsior.